say hello to Floyd Little and Jim Brown, Sean Tucker in the orange record books with his fifth touchdown of the game. All across CNY. Kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. It's the 315. Hardy faking feeds the Grace Jameson. He scores! Here's Brian Higgins. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome in to the 315 here on this Wednesday afternoon. Q Soups last night. We'll talk a lot about that. Damar Hamlin's story continues to be ever-present in the sports world. Wishing our best for him. Uh, I don't think encouraging is the right word, but certainly not discouraging news coming out of the UC Medical Center right now in regards to uh, DeMar and uh, reports coming out from uh, people close to him and uh, a statement the Bills put out within the last hour or so. So we'll uh, get into that during the show. Mike McAllister will join us at 3 o'clock today to talk about um, the Syracuse football roster uh, for the most part. I'm getting a little hoops with Mike as well, but you know where where are we at right now? And kind of what spurred the thought on that was uh, Jihad Carter signing with Ohio State yesterday, announcing that he's going to be a Buckeye. He's going to have to start using the word the in front of the school he is attending. Ask Mike if he was surprised at all uh, by that as a landing spot for Jihad as uh, I was. Like, obviously heard that he was, you know, apparently it was down to there at Texas for Carter, but it's still, somehow, even knowing that he was going to one of those two schools, he caught me off guard that he was going to either of those two uh, schools. So we'll talk to Mike about that, where things are at uh, with the roster. Are we done with the players uh, leaving? Still don't know the end result of where Deuce Chestnut is going. And um, how many more should we expect uh, to be coming in vis-a-vis the portal or the non-early signing period, the normal signing period, the February signing period. I don't know what you call things anymore. But we'll talk to Mike about that coming up at 3 o'clock. We may have another guest uh, after that in the second hour. We are we are efforting. We are in constant communication. And uh, we don't know. There's, all, there's a lot, you know, and it's weird to talk about. But the DeMar Hamlin story is one where obviously the story is his health and status of his recovery and hope that his recovery can be uh, complete or as complete as uh, that can be considering the terrible medical event that his body went through. What well, it's Wednesday, less than 48 hours ago now, less than 40 hours ago, 41 hours ago, whatever the math works out to at this point, that is the actual story of what he is going through. But there are so many branches off of that story, logistically, you know, big picture NFL things that are they going to finish playing the game? Are they going to play week 18 on schedule? Does anything have to be moved? How are they going to handle the fact in the standings that the game was not played? Are the playoff games going to be in the same spot? Do they, should they give everybody the week off and push it back a week? Should they play the Bills-Bengals game this weekend, give everybody else the week off, uh, play week 18 next weekend, then push the playoffs back a week? Can the Super Bowl be moved? This, that, and the other thing. Like, never before in NFL history have any of these conversations even happened in regards to one player. 
for any of the multitude of things or multitude of reasons that have happened to anyone and anybody in the history of the NFL. Like you talk about NFL games not being played on mass on you know like an event that happened. The list is 9/11 didn't play the next week end list. President Kennedy assassinated played later that week to the eternal regret of the commissioner Pete Rozelle. Like the league didn't completely stop during World War II. Like changes were made. If anybody loves the history of the Steagles or any of the stuff that happened back in the the mid 40s, but like you talk about professional sports in America and baseball and football, college football, all this stuff, like it, it wasn't the same, but they kept on playing. It didn't just stop and go away. And there's no indication that that's what's going to happen this weekend, but. There is no indication yet that that's not what's going to happen. The NFL has not said essentially word one about this weekend. And at this point, like if this weekend's going to go on as normal, that's the thing that needs to be said out loud. So there, there's a lot of and logistics going on behind the scenes in regards to the NFL, in regards to DeMar Hanlon's medical situation. Because th- this stuff, it's, it is highly unprecedented. Especially here, and you hate to put this all in the same thing, especially here in 2022, there there are millions and billions of dollars out there. And is it fair to talk about that in the realm of talking about a young man's life? No. And yet, that is what they are and must and will and continue to talk about behind the scenes due to what happened on the field on Monday night. So like all of that stuff continues to go on, and it's just wild. It's wild. It's stuff we've never, ever seen before, and hopefully we'll never, ever see again. Obviously, you can't guarantee anything like that. The Buffalo Bills, from the sound of it today, the team, after that Monday night, they flew back to Buffalo a very late Monday night or early Tuesday morning, whatever you want to call it. Sounded like it was very late. Normally, you know, people were wondering this on Monday after the game. Oh, the Bills are flying back. How are they doing that? Where did they get a... Well, yeah, the NFL team, they had a plane there. That's how the NFL works. Like normally, Monday night football game ends at, I don't know, 11.30. Shower up, do your interviews, get on the bus, go to the airport, have something to eat. You're on the plane. You know, you're taking off 1.30, 2 o'clock. The airport in Cincinnati is not actually in Cincinnati. It's right across the river in northern Kentucky. But it's right there. Like the stadium is on the river. The airport is on the other side of the river. And, you know, the hospital that DeMar is in is two hours or two hours, two minutes, two miles, uh, two minutes, basically north of that more into the city. Like it's all right there. So there's a lot of logistics stuff. Originally today, we were going to be joined by our friend Dan Fates from uh, Wham in uh, Rochester to talk about, man, what a great game it was on Monday night. Bills and Bengals. Ho, ho. And, you know, all this stuff happens. Uh, He right now is uh, on a plane flying back from. Cincinnati to Rochester. So hopefully uh, Dan will be able to join us uh, tomorrow. But uh, there's there's a lot of logistical ripples out of this that it just ripples out in a way that, I don't want to say affects us all, that is uh, insensitive. But, you know, we're nimble, we're changing things up, and uh, we'll just got to see who, who gets on the, uh, uh, the airwaves today and uh, who we get to talk to. But uh, looking forward to talking to Dan sometime this week, uh, not today, if not... Uh, tomorrow. Here is uh, what the Buffalo Bills put out 
on Twitter. Now uh, appears a 38 uh, minutes ago. Their statement, DeMar remains in the ICU in critical condition with signs of improvement. Noted yesterday and overnight, he is expected to remain under intensive care as his health team continues to monitor and treat him. And from my understanding of things like this, from all, you know, you hear from doctors and read stuff and all this stuff the last couple days. And again, this is all doctors that are not the ones actually treating DeMar, but people that understand events like this, similar to this. Not every medical event is the same, obviously. But his current status of recovery from all reports and everything doctors said is at least within the realm of where you'd hope it to be for him to recover whatever version of fully exists to be fully recovered. And I think that's really all you can say about it right now. And then it it ripples out into all the other stuff, which is part of it, obviously, but separate. What is the NFL going to do? The NFL, which is... It's an oil tanker. It is not a speedboat. It turns slow. One decision is not just one decision when it comes to this. Like the easy thing to do on Monday night, obviously, why did it take so long to cancel the game? Well, because even when they knew they weren't going to play that game, there's a lot more. You can't just turn out the lights and that's it. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, that goes on that's complicated. Though ESPN was uh, vehemently defending themselves that uh, the information uh, made it to them that there was a five-minute restart uh, process that was uh, going to be implemented before the coaches stepped in on on Monday night. Kind of inclined to believe that. But we'll see where it all goes. Again, wishing the best for DeMar. We mentioned this yesterday, and you know I've just kind of kept this webpage open now for the last, hey, I guess it's 40-some-odd hours. And I hit refresh every now and again. It's a GoFundMe page for the Chasing M's Foundation Community Toy Drive. That initially, Tamar made it while he was at Pitt. His last year at Pitt was 2020. And he played here in the Dome. He was here. None of you were. That's what back in the early part of 2020 in the, the no fans uh, portion of the season with COVID and the whole deal. But he's a five-year guy at Pitt. Maybe you saw him play at the Dome in 2018. Obviously, he was a very good player at Pitt. If he wasn't, he would not have been in the National Football League. But now there's uh, you know, multiple updates on here from his family. Like Initially, this was made as a community Troy Drive in the Pittsburgh area where he was going to donate toys this was back in 2020, and this has been up here. Basically, it was a, a forgotten GoFundMe for something he did as a as a collegiate senior. It was going to Kelly and Nina's Daycare Center in McKees Rock, Pennsylvania, which is a, a suburb of Pittsburgh. His goal was $2,500 of toys. That's a still $2,500 of toys. I, I know the price of toys is going up, up, up. That's still a pretty good chunk of toys. Like $2,500 of toys, that's a, that's a lot of Merry Christmases out there. $6.5 million of toys. No one had planned on that. His, the current amount of money that has been donated to the GoFundMe page set up by DeMar Hamlin two years ago when he was a senior in college is now $6,496,900 raised of a $2,500 goal. The largest donation currently coming from Jim Ursay 
and the Indianapolis Colts for $25,003. It's amazing. We had Bob Halfano on the show yesterday, and again, you know how things change. We had Bob on to talk about the game last night, and we agreed it would be a crazy game. We didn't know why and all that stuff, and we'll get into that, and boy, how were we right. And we were also right that we didn't know why we'd be right. But, you know, Bob, brother of Jim, heavily involved in charity, V Foundation. The V Foundation, you know, they raised lots of money all year long. They had an annual charity deal in August. Now, they, the V Week every year with ESPN raises lots of money, but they do a, um annual fundraiser called the V Vine Celebration. It uh, looks like in August. That this year raised $5.2 million, August 4th to the 7th. That's the V Foundation. That is a an exceedingly established and known charitable foundation that originated in the sporting world. Over a four-day period in August, $5.2 million. A not in any way established, not known at all, charitable GoFundMe has raised $6.5 million in less than two days. $6.5 million in less than two days. Stunning. So what what good can come out of a situation like this that, you know, hopefully, like, the, the best case scenario for Jabbar Hamlin is that at some point, hopefully sooner than later, is medically you get back and you're as fine as you were before. Like, the best case scenario for him is that long-term nothing bad happened. Best case. Well, here's something good that comes out of it. $6.5 million. Now, I don't think they know quite exactly what they're going to do with all that money, and there's, you know, we'll find, we're going to hear some stupid stories two months from now about legally and taxes and just a bunch of crap that gets involved with, with, with stuff like this because nobody was planning on this GoFundMe having to handle this much uh, money. So there'll be, you know... Somewhere, somehow, something stupid's going to happen because it always does. But right now, just to take a moment and say, wow, that's that's the good in people coming through in a situation like this. So still wishing the best for DeMar. Updates are limited, you know, from the reports coming out of the hospital room from uh, his uncle who spoke in his, one of his marketing business manager types who has uh, spoken. It sounds like his oxygen levels are getting better, things like that. But he's uh, still uh, sedated, essentially meaning he's being kept in an artificially induced coma while the, the machines are helping his body breathe and hopefully allowing the rest of his body, his brain included, to heal itself from a a significant medical event. Whatever it was, whatever actually caused it, we still don't actually know that yet. We've not heard, obviously, from DeMar, but we've not heard actually from anybody on his medical team yet. So uh, lots of specula- knowledgeable speculation. But that's all it is at this point, other than knowing that he had a severe cardiac event uh, that he underwent on the field on uh, Monday night at Cincinnati. So there, there is our update on uh, that situation uh, today. Perhaps we'll get back into it uh, later in the show, depending on how uh, things fall. And uh, later in the week, hopefully tomorrow, we'll be joined by uh, Dan Fates, who covers the Bills and was uh, on the sideline as that all unfolded at the game on Monday night. But he is in the air right now on his way back. Uh, from Cincinnati after uh, certainly a, an exceedingly long 40 hours for him and a, a day at the, the hospital uh, yesterday following everything that went down. But uh, there was a basketball game last night, and boy, howdy was there. A game that was decided by a single point and a, a game literally that the final eight seconds left me sitting alone in a room cackling my head off 
at what just of a mess of a thing, a beautiful mess that we had just watched. We'll get into that, and we'll begin hearing from uh, Jim Beheim his postgame thoughts yesterday as well when we come back, talking Cuse and Louisville in the Orange one-point win last night at the Yum Center. Off and running here on this Wednesday on the 315. Mike McAllister coming up at 3 o'clock. Lots more to talk about. A lot of hoops coming up uh, this hour here on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. All across CNY, it's the 315. Here's Brian Higgins. And here we are rolling along on this uh, Wednesday. A little Tamar Hamlin uh, talk to start today. But uh, there was a basketball game last night. My goodness, was there. Um... I don't know if Springfield's calling for it. Maybe. Maybe they have a separate wing for games like that. Like, compellingly peculiar. Welcome to the What the Heck Wing with Syracuse and Louisville. Because, man, the last eight seconds last night. So, it's a three-point game. The Orange do the fouling. I wish it had taken a few seconds longer. It didn't, so be it. It's still... uh, it is a consistent strategy now by Jim Beheim that he is a foul up three late guy. I I don't know if I'm in that camp or not. I could go either way on it, but I like when a coach is I like to either in or you're out. Jim's in, great. He's in, and it feels like he's in every time. So I'm I'm all for like he thought about it, he made a decision, and he is rolling with it every time. So I like that. They make the free throws. Okay. The Orange get the ball inbounds. And then, my goodness, like Judah Mintz blows a tire. The ball is out. L. Ellis is coming the other way. And then he is sprawling on the floor. Literally, in the, the minutes leading into our postgame program last night with Eric Devendorf, I'm just, Jordan's out there. He's getting things ready for the show. So I'm left sitting in the room watching the last few seconds uh, by myself. I am just cackling maniacally watching that play because. It's not what the game needed. It is what the game deserved. Like, that game needed a screwball ending, and it got an all-timer screwball ending. In a game defined by sloppy play, turnovers, what the heck's going on, why, what, why, stop it, you, ugh. Don't do that. No, you don't do that. Why are you doing that? Don't throw the ball there. Louisville had the one fast break. They went for the lob alley-oop. The players were four feet apart, and the guy lobbed it about seven feet over the other guy's head out of bounds. How many just rockets did they throw into the first row? And then the Orange are giving it back. Like, Syracuse has been a very good turnover team for the most part this year after some early struggles. They've been a very good team at not turning the ball over. Then last night, the ball is greased, and it's flying around, and nothing better I uh, showed it in the final possession last night, but we'll say this. Any win in the league is a good win. Any road win in the league is a really good win. But was last night a... We, we know the Orange are not a great team, but they still have a chance to do something here. We don't know what. They got a chance to do something over the next two to three months. Was last night the sign that the something is going to be wacky and gruesome? Because Louisville is without question the worst team in the league. I got no clue who the best team in the league. I'm 100% certain who the worst team in the league is. The best team in the league could be a list of a lot of people, I think. 
Carolina, Duke. I mean, when all said and done, Carolina, Duke, Virginia, Miami, suddenly Pitt, Virginia Tech. I think there's a lot of teams that could step up and be like that team when all is said and done. Louisville, no, nobody's going to crater like Louisville. Louisville's the worst team in the league. So hopefully, for the sake of Syracuse, what we watched last night was not a sign of what it's going to be like for the Orange in the league this year. They are 3-1, and one, but suddenly now, you're 3-1, and one, your win's at Notre Dame. Wow, great win. Road against Notre Dame. Quad one win at the end of the day for sure. I thought that. Notre Dame's 0-4 in the league. And then BC, we know BC's not going to be great. They're 2-2. Two and two. They're doing okay right now, but they're BC. Then the pit loss, you're like, eh. And now Louisville, so you're 3-1, and one, but we'll see what kind of 3-1 and one, uh, the whole thing uh, means, the whole thing uh, looks like here going forward. Of that, I'm, I'm not entirely certain. I'm not entirely certain. But the Orange got the win last night, and I think this Saturday. I'm not saying you got to win against Virginia. I think Virginia is good. They're not great. They're good. It's going to be a hard game, but not impossible. But I think we're to find out how the Orange play this week. If you come out against them, and this is required to beat Virginia, if you come out and play a composed basketball game, are you composed? Are you ready to go? Win or lose? Do you go out there? Do you do the right stuff? you got to be very disciplined against Virginia's pack line defense. Like, if you do all that stuff on Saturday, win or lose, that'll show you, okay, the, the zaniness of last night was the, the one-off situation. So I think that's going to be an interesting test. Now, they, if the Orange come out, and you, if you throw the ball all over the lot against Virginia, you lose the game. You don't have a chance. Like, Virginia does not, they're not going to give it back to you. That is not how this works when it comes to uh, Virginia basketball. They don't. It doesn't go back and forth like that. You're not going to get the ball, like flip it into the seventh throw, and then they're going to give it back. That's just not how it works. So I think uh, Saturday is an important game just to see how composed uh, the Orange are going to be. Let's go to the phones uh, right now. Pat uh, in the Qs is with us. Pat, uh, how's it going this afternoon? Good, man. You know, I was just talking to Jordan. Uh, we might He had this good idea. You know, we might have to file a complaint with DeWitt Cleaners because every time I'm driving by there, the uh, call drops. So I, I do apologize. It's <laughs> happened at least three times. Uh, it's what it's the chemi- it's the chemicals in there, Pat. Whatever they're doing, it gets your shirt clean, but it must ruin your phone calls. But it's a shameless plug because they do a good job. Um, I've but at any rate, um, you know the interesting thing, uh, you know, buddies of mine, Dro and Vito and uh, Joe and Liverpool guys who have been calling your uh, your station for a decade. We were talking about this. Um, we were talking about this following, and I think the biggest piece was the first foul when you got two to give. The first one, put him at, put him at uh, let's see, they had five. Wait, yeah. So basically the first foul was too early. I think they could have waited a second or two. I believe mm-hmm. he was like 40-something feet from the floor. He's not shooting from there. Um, so that kind of wasted that one foul. And I am of the definite opinion that you do follow up three, and here's why. You have to have almost three separate things all go right to tie, right? Especially if it's a one-and-one. Because one. if he misses the first one, game's over, pretty much, as long as you get the rebound. Because um, th- think about it from the team losing. They have to make the first one, right? Mm-hmm. Then they have to miss the second one. So that's that's two things that need to happen. Then the third thing is you got to get the rebound. So that's three things. Then the fourth thing is 
you got to make another basket. I think I'd rather roll my dice any day of the week doing those four things and, 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 and putting the appropriate odds on all four of those versus letting a guy shoot a three. Oh, I, I, you know? I, I think I agree with you, Pat. Like, there, there's times I wouldn't for whatever reason, but I, I think you're right. In this day and age, it's much more likely the opponent's going to make one three than than do like the seven other things or the four other things there to win the game. You know, Pat, we and, we had a Jerry on Orange Nation earlier, and he said kind of the same thing that you know that the first foul was given a little earlier than he hoped, but I, I think he thought that you know after L. Ellis got going there in the second half, it, it, you know, it, it kind of just sets you off on the wrong foot a little bit. You get a little twitchy with the beep, with the grabbing. Beep. The other thing about from the officiating standpoint, where, where I also come from, um, the officiating standpoint, most good refs um, are going to be in the best nature of the game. And if it's not in the natural shooting motion and they try to sell it, it's almost like a flop. I mean, and it's not a rule, but it's an interpretation and a judgment. And I can promise you most, most referees are trained. They're not going to bail a guy out and say, oh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, oh, yeah, he's in the act because the players will try to do that. And I know if I'm calling the game, no chance. No, you, you have to literally be shooting for, for me to give you that. I'm not going to bail you out. It's just not going to happen. The, the other piece that uh, I really appreciated after my call with, with you and Devo last night that, that he talked about is, you know, I started looking at the weights of, of our team. I mean, we've got to be one of the skinniest teams, you know, in, in the power five. Cause we were talking about the, the style of play and, um, I, I just think I'll continue to grind these games out when, when you have, you know, and I don't even blame Joe. You know, people say, oh, you know, you, you're hard on Joe and this and that. It's just the style of play. I think if we were up-tempo and, and Joe didn't have a going up against a set defense, um, I, I just don't understand, and I really would love to know why we don't run more. I mean, part of it is we're not a great rebounding team, and you obviously have to rebound to be able to run. But you can run off a made basket. You can run off a made free throw. Um, plenty of teams do it, and I just don't know why we don't. And in, in years past, you know, oh, we only had six guys. Okay, well, that's not the excuse this year. I, I just think Jim knows knows what he knows, does what he does, and he's comfortable with it. And you know what? I'm sure if I did it as long as him, I'd probably do the same thing. In terms of he's probably not going to change too many philosophies now, but it doesn't make it always right. And I would love to see us run. I, I think we have a boring, stale, really um, slim margin for error. Um, and look, look no further than last night's game. Last night's game to me showed that, uh, you know, we played a, a garbage team that couldn't do anything well on offense or defense, and we probably should have lost. So it's not good. I, um, the only thing good about now is the snow's melted and it's 46 degrees, Brian. I will let you get back to your show. And I appreciate your airtime, my guy. All right, Pat. Thanks as always for the call. Yeah, it is actually a pretty nice day in the queue, so all things uh, uh, considered. Yeah, I can see them running a little bit more, but you know, I, I think Pat hit on it though. Like a lot of times, a lot more fast breaks start off a missed bucket than a made bucket. Now, like the way Roy Williams did it with the secondary break and the whole thing, like his Kansas and Carolina teams, like they did it, but that's a very committed style uh, to doing that. And you know, go back in the day, like to say the Orange have never been a fast-breaking team. That that being correct, you know, Pearl and Sherm and all those guys way, uh, way back. But it, it has not really been the way they've played recently. That's uh, that's for certain to get out and go, go, go like that all the time. But yeah, I think one of the main reasons is <laughs> like uh, when you're rebounding the way the Orange are, uh, you, you are not starting in advantageous spots uh, to do that. And we, we've seen seen that. It's not just Jim Beheim. He said it after almost every game. The rebounding is. It is causing him headaches. It's causing me headaches. It it is so 
mind-boggling why the forwards cannot rebound. I don't even want to say a consistent level. At anything resembling a consistent level. The Orange had played four forwards last night. Four of them. They had seven total rebounds. The Orange played one Joe Girard last night. He had seven rebounds. That essentially should never happen. And that's a full credit to what Joe did rebounding the ball last night. But the fact that Benny had three, Bell had three, Malik Brown, I mean, he's the good rebounder. He had zero in 11 minutes, and uh, Justin Taylor had one. Like It's it's um, it's mind-boggling. And I think that, like, even if you were inclined to say, okay, maybe running works with this team, like, but you got to get the ball to do that. While it is possible off a made basket, it, it is harder to do it, and that's something you got to be really committed uh, to doing. And it has not just been something that's been the primary mode of attack, certainly around here any time recently. But we shall see. Uh, with that, we'll take a break. Uh, Mike McAllister joining us at 3, maybe a little Jim Beheim if we have time when we get back. We, we didn't do this yesterday. Obviously, it was kind of a different day around here. we we got to recap last week's picks at some point. See how Mario and the man who sort of knows did. We'll try to sneak that in at the end of the hour. Off and running here. It is the 315 here on this Wednesday afternoon. This uh, warmer than average, as Pat told us, Wednesday afternoon in the Qs here on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. All across CNY, it's the 315. Here's Brian Higgins. Here I am. Here we are. Mike McAllister coming up at the top of the hour. That is what we know right now. How did our picks do from this last week? How, how did they do? Did they do well? Did they do average? How did it go? We should probably tell you. We give you the picks. You got to come back. You got to recap to let people know if they should actually be listening or not. Well, you should be listening if you should be taking the advice or not. Always listen. Take the advice, um, you know, if you want to or not. But here's a look back at uh, what we decided on last week. I want to be a billionaire. What did the man sort of know? This is fantastic. How full was the six-pack? I say, oh, last that full kind of guy. Remember, the results were not guaranteed. No backsies. Here's last week's picks. All right, so nobody was made a billionaire off last week's picks. But uh, you've got basically what we started with. We had a pair of three and three weeks. For the man who sort of knows and the Psycho Six Pack. Uh, the man who sort of knows started with some uh, college basketball a week ago tonight. Kentucky on the road against Missouri. He had um, Kentucky minus two and a half. Missouri said, uh, yeah, we, we're going to win by 14. Turns out Missouri may be good. Keep an eye on Missouri. Lots of bowl picks. Holiday Bowl said there would not be a lot of points in Oregon at North Carolina. The number in that game was 75. The total, the final was 28-27. Oregon with the win, so that was a winner for the man who sort of knows going under. He thought Clemson would beat Tennessee. He had visions of the wrong shade of orange. Tennessee whooped the Tigers 31-14 uh, to 14 in that ball game. Loss on Saturday. We didn't even know the line at the time, but centers against the Charlotte Hornets this year get lots of rebounds. The problem for Nick Claxton, who's the starting center uh, for the New Jersey Nets, is that the Nets whooped the Hornets so bad on Saturday that their starters barely played in the fourth quarter, if at all. So he only ended up with six rebounds, which was not enough. So a 1-3 start to the week for the man who sort of knows, but he won his last two. Not only was Niners Raiders hit the over of 43.5 uh, with Jarrett Stidham quarterbacking the Raiders, it was the highest scoring game of the week 
37-35 Niners in overtime. That was a win on the over. And the ReliaQuest Bowl on Monday, the Mississippi State versus Illinois. They came in Tampa uh, the first game after the passing of Mike Leach for Mississippi State. The man that sort of knows avoided the drama. He had Mississippi State, but he had them just minus one. That line by kickoff climbed to three and a half, which played into it when the game was tied at 10 late. Mississippi State went down the field, took the lead on the field goal to go up 13 to 10. And uh, people that had Illinois and thus picked against the memory of Mike Leach, shame on you, thought they were sitting pretty until the wacky wild throw it around final play of the game finally resulted in a backwards pass by Tommy DeVito that was picked up by Mississippi State and uh, needlessly for some, impactfully for others, returned for a touchdown final score 19-10. to Not a backdoor cover for the man that sort of knows, but a backdoor cover uh, for many who were following the folks from Starkville on Monday. So a 3-3 three and three week for the man who sort of knows. Now 42-38-1 during his time with us. Mario Sacco, another 3-3 three and three week this last week. He went all NFL, had the Lions cover the six against the Bears. Lions hammered the Bears 41-10 on Sunday. Had the, the Chiefs covering versus the Broncos. That went down to the wire, a field goal win for the Chiefs, so that's a loss. Had the Eagles, regardless of quarterback, covering seven versus the Saints. Minshew Magic did not hold on Sunday in New Orleans, 20-10. Saints with a win there. Eagles need to beat the Giants on Sunday now to guarantee clinching the number one seed in the NFC. Got a win on the Bucks, clinching the NFC South. They were three-point favorites against the Panthers in Tampa. That game ended up being a six-point win for the Bucks, 30-24. Tom Brady back in the playoffs at the age of 45. Got a win on the Jaguars. They were a four-and-a-half-point favorite at the Texans past week. They won it by 28-38-31-3. And uh, back the Jets on the road in Seattle. It was a so-called fishy line. It was fishy in the wrong way. Jets were favored by a point and a half. Jets got blasted 23-6 to by the Seahawks. So both the man who sort of knows and the Saco six-pack were 3-3 three and three on the past week. We will freshen their picks this upcoming Friday on the show, as we always do. With that, we shall hit a break. Mike McAllister, friend of the show, editor-in-chief of Fan Nation Cuse. We'll talk about the orange football roster. Saw Jihad Carter... Exit stage left officially to Ohio State last evening. Get Mike's thoughts on that and the current state of the Orange football roster as we head forward towards Dino Babers' year eight. We'll do that when we come back to start hour two here on the 315 here today. It's QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio. <laughs> 